Now, before we get started, we're going to go to prayer. And I'm going to ask something of you in that time of prayer. We're not going to read the entire psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. But I would like for us just to go ahead and focus on the last two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be in me, in me, wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would guide now as we look into your word. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is not the invitation. But before I finish praying, I want to ask you to do something, please. The devil doesn't like a message like this. Number one, I'm going to ask you to focus on God's Word. Number two, forget about what you're going to be doing the rest of the day. Number three, set aside the distractions. Number four, when God speaks to you, because He will, not because it's me, but it's His Word, I'm asking you to respond as you know our God would want us to. So Lord, I pray that you would do a work. Do a work in my heart. Actually continue the work that you started in my heart. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I had every intention, if you remember what I was saying this last week. Remember I preached Get sober about Satan. Get sober about Satan. I mentioned this, and I, I had every intention on preaching, get serious with Scripture. But God changed all that on Monday. I, we, we were already scheduled. We were going to go camping Monday and Tuesday, and we did. And I tell you, I, I just, by, by the way, the bear says hi. The bear was there that morning, Monday morning, and uh, didn't, didn't stop by to see us. We didn't take any chips with us, so he probably didn't just want to come by. But anyway, uh, but you know, I, I don't know about some of you, when you do something like that, you go out. I, we got everything, you know, all set up. And after you, know, you set up and you sit down in the chair, and you can literally feel the stress just dripping off your fingers. Just, oh man, this is great. So I pulled out a book that Tim Schmidt loaned me. I've mentioned it already. Ed Nelson's autobiography. He was a man that just a couple of months ago went to be with the Lord. Incredible man of God. Just, just great guy. And I was reading in the book where he said he was an evangelist at times. And he would preach in revival services. But he says he actually, he saw revival take place four times in his ministry. Two of the times was when he was dealing with the Christian school that they started. And I started reading about some of the things that took place and I started to cry because I remember, you know, I, one of the things I loved to do was when I was a youth pastor was speak in chapel. And, and even after we got here, uh, I would go every once in a while over to Victory and speak in chapel there. And it was, it, was a, it was a joy. And I tell you, some of the best chapels I remember, Crystal, is like when Rich Tozier came or when Tim Schmidt came and preached there. There were some good times there, some great times. Miss Mark Maxwell, you know, and how, with, with his dealing there. 
But I just, you know, I got to thinking, oh, my soul. This is what we have prayed for for so long. And, and, and just trying to recognize that, you know, if we would set aside the weights and the besetting sins, what we could see God do. And, I, and I just, it just really hit me. And God made it very plain. No, you're going to be going to, yes, you're going to be going to get serious with Scripture. But first, we've dealt with Satan. We need to get serious about our sin. Now, by the way, as we go to this, can you, can you do this? Don't be thinking in your mind, that's right. My spouse needs to get serious about their sin. Don't do that. You and I can control one person, and it's us. We can do something about our sin. Now, we might not think this is a very important thing. I hope and pray that you'll see that it is that you'll see the need for dealing with sin. That David, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself in the message a little bit, but that's okay. I'll repeat myself. But I want to remind you of something. David was a godly young man. He was a man that was surrendered to his Lord when he prayed the prayer that we read. Search me, O God. Uh, Tim and Megan Schmidt, I was thinking they were going to be here this morning, but they haven't been. They're back. They had a great time with the group that they had from Ambassador Baptist College, going to different uh, churches uh, this last month over the Midwest. And, you know, it was wonderful to hear Brother Schmidt. You know, he said, you know, the Lord would take me. And when, you know, here he is, he's getting ready to preach, and he has a burden for it. Now, Tim Schmidt is one of the most surrendered young men I know. But he said, you know, God had to take me to the woodshed, and I had to surrender, I had to confess my pride. And I'm, you know, I, I'm listening to, listening to Tim talk, and it's like, what pride? I've, I've heard the but he just so wanted to be surrendered. And you know what? That's one of the biggest things that we deal with. It's sin, excuse me, is pride, which is sin. But stop and think about it. Go, if you would, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, we've got some scripture that we're going to be going to this morning. A lot of it. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. Now, now first of all, stop right there. Who suffered? Who is Christ? He's the creator. God the Son. He did what? He did what? Why? We sinned. He gave. Now, do, do you catch this? Do you catch this? We sometimes just skip right over this. He suffered voluntarily because we sinned. What's that all about? Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death, separation from God, not only for time, but also for eternity, that was on us. So, what happened? He suffered. 
on the cross, the crucifixion. Now, you know, there's times, a lot of times, we take that lightly. He suffered because we sinned. And sometimes we take that sin, again, just, you know, I'm sorry, Lord, you know, didn't mean to. It cost Christ much. Go back to 1 Peter 2, verse 22. Leaving us, excuse me, verse 21, the last part, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin. That's the example that we follow. He did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now listen to verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins. Again, Christ the innocent bearing sin that he did not commit, we committed. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. We are now dead to sin. We have been set free from sin. We don't have to sin. You're talking sinless perfection? No, I'm not. I'm saying we don't have to sin. Somebody say amen. I like what John Phillips said here, the commentator. He said this, quote, Christ died not only for us, but also as us. Speaking of this verse, he not only gave his life for us, but also gives his life to us. We who are saved are no longer free to sin. We are free from sin. In the eternal counsel of God, we were, quote-unquote, in Christ when he died. Moreover, when he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he arose, we arose. That's the victory that Christ gave us over our sin. You know this, if you've been getting into your scripture, much of, you know, just even a moderate amount, you recognize this. You open your Bible immediately. There's the creation of man. There's the fall of man. Then there is God's plan of redemption. You're getting that before you get out of Genesis 3. Man's struggle with sin. You start seeing that when you get into Genesis 4 and on. God's program for a victory over sin, salvation by faith, sacrifice that looked ahead to Christ, the wages of sin, the gift of God, future results, it's all there. When my wife and I were at uh, Bible college, there was a book that was put together about chapel sayings of Dr. Bob Jones Sr., who had been an evangelist way back. Oh, it's going back almost a century now. But there were some key things that he would say over and over again in chapel. They put them in a book. We'd get them. I love the book. One of the things that he would say was this. You can't beat the game of sin. You can't beat the game of sin. He said, God won't let you. And especially if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, listen, again, be sure, Numbers 32, be sure your sin will find you out. I want to give you three things real quick. Three things. Number one, 
understand when it comes to sin, understand the definition. The noun in the Greek is hamartia, literally means a missing of the mark. It is the most comprehensive term for moral deceptiveness. Now listen to this. It's used of sin as number one, a principle or source of action. A principle or source of action or an inward element producing acts. That's what that word means. This is important. This is important. Romans 7.13 Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Listen, when he said sin, that it might appear sin, means this, sin became death to me, that it might be exposed in its wicked character. We've got people today that are calling good evil and evil good. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells in you. It tells you, listen, this is wicked. I don't care who says it. I don't care if it's the governor of California or the president of the United States or another pastor. If it's sin, according to this book, it's sin. It has wickedness bound up in it. The last clause, sin might become exceeding sinful. In other words, through the holiness of the law, the true nature of sin was designed to be manifested to the conscience. We would know that. We would know it. Then, a governing principle or power. Listen to this, Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Sin here is spoken of as an organized power acting through the members of the body which has the seat of sin. It's in the will, but in the next clause, the governing power is personified. You have in you that wickedness in the flesh that tries to get into the will. Romans 6.12, this is how we do it. Let not sin therefore reign in in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. In other words, like Paul said, Keep your body under. But what I'm trying to do is get to the definition right now. It is something that is inside of you, in your flesh. Born again, praise God. But as long as we deal with this flesh, we have something that wants us to go contrary to the will of God. You're not going to be able to get to sinless perfection. Look, we die, we must die daily to all that. I remember Jim Benny was sharing with us one time. He was interviewed by Moody Monthly, and he was talking about the fact that there are so many men that claim to be Christians, and it really is true, that wind up getting hung up on pornography. He was interviewed again by Moody Monthly. When they posted the article, they accidentally put his phone number. In two weeks, 24 pastors called him and said they were addicted to pornography. 24. Now, if that's happening in the pulpit, what's happening in the pew? Jim said that one time he was with a group of 100 men And he said, men, how many of you have to deal with lust on a regular basis in your life? Every hand went up. And guys, if I asked the question this morning, if you were honest with yourself, 
your hand and my hand would have to go up. We need to say no to the flesh. You stop and consider, when we think about sins that we deal with, I'm telling you, the battle is getting fierce. There's the verb form of that Greek word. Again, it means to miss the mark. Probably a verse that comes to mind when when we say that is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what it means. Come short, miss the mark. It was used in the New Testament of sinning against God by man. Luke 15, 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. When Christ was speaking to a woman, you know, there's nobody that, that condemns you. She said, no man, Lord, this is John 8. Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Also, that word could be used in the present tense, indicating a committal of an, excuse me, not a committal of an act, but the continuous practice of sin. You know, I like what somebody said one time. A a, a Christian, even one that winds up going back, if they're struggling with it, like those pastors that said, I'm struggling with pornography. They said, "A, a Christian will lapse into sin and loathe it. A sinner leaps into sin and loves it. No problem. This is what my life is all about. But a Christian won't have that kind of an attitude. In 1 John 3, this is where that that present tense was used. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, doth not habitually practice sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. He cannot continually practice sin. No problem. You know, it doesn't bother him at all. So let's understand the definition. Bottom line, it means to miss the mark. It's the, this is not comprehensive, not meant to be. But bottom line, it's this. Here's God's standard. Here we are here. You know what I'm trying to say. So understand the definition. See the detriment in this very quickly. When we came to Christ, we should have learned a serious lesson. Sin separated us from God. Now again, just thinking about that phrase. Sin separated us from God. God is love. God is life. We're separated. This is not good. Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Paul, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, seeking to speak of those that did not know Christ yet, said this in Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, the emptiness, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. That's why we have people, even people in high places, that are saying and doing things that are appalling to us. How in the world can you stand for that, push that, agree with that? This is crazy, and it is. It's worse than that. It's godless. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. You see, sin separated us from God, but Christ made us free. Y'all are just sitting there. Get involved with me right now in this. Go to Romans chapter 3. Go to Romans chapter 3. (laughs) 
Now look at verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a substitute, through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. We have been set free. We've been justified. We're new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. And I want to emphasize this. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. On the one hand, that's a promise that believers ought to be understanding. Wait a minute. The Lord has set me free. I don't have to sin. On the other hand, it's a joy to know, praise God, I'm set free. I'm set free. In Romans 6, verse 20, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit, what fruit, excuse me, had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Being now, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So we just saw, see the detriment of sin. And the fact that we have been set free. So lastly, lastly, make the determination. I was in sin, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you have trusted Christ, your sins are under the blood. You're set free. Now there are determinations to make, and this is what I was aiming for. First of all, we have to see that sin is still a danger to the believer. In James 4, verse 17, James wrote this, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Listen, there are sins of commission. There are also sins of omission. Now catch this. There are sins of commission. There are also sins of omission. I'm going to be, we're going to be looking at something about that that'll give a little bit more to that definition there. But, but we, we, we have to see this. We have been told many things. Look, don't do this. Proverbs 24, 9, the thought of foolishness is sin. It's not just thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, etc. There are things that we ought not to do. Romans 14, 23, and he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If you can't do it to the Lord, trusting him in it, because, you know, he wouldn't be pleased, it's sin. I remember many, many years ago hearing a message about Samson. In Judges 16, 21, after he had done all the thing with Delilah, and finally he confessed her to her, his, where his power came from, her people got a hold of him, and this is what happened. Judges 16, 21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. And I remember somebody preaching this message. Sin binds. 
Sin blinds. Sin grinds. In other words, all through the Scripture, we hear the warning about sin. You know, praise God, let's get sober about Satan. But what does Satan want us to do? Who was the one that said to Eve, Yea, hath God said? This is what Satan brought in. His, his sin was pride. Do we have that problem? How many of you wrestled with pride this last week? My hand is up. Put it way up. Put it way up. <laughs> now stop and think. Christ suffered because of that. I remember, in fact, Tim and I were talking, you know, the, uh, the two-minute warning is coming up. And a few years ago, we wound up going to Wolf Mountain. Several pastors came, and, and we were praying for the meeting. Oh, excuse me, we were praying for the, um, uh, the revival, the revival meeting. And we started, he, he had me go up to a chalkboard, and we started making a list of all the sins that we had dealt with in ourselves. That list grew, and then it grew some more. Folks, this, this, is, this is not good. We don't have to sin. We're praying for revival. Lord, save our nation. From what? Judgment begins where? The house of God. So the question is, what are we doing about it? I mean, folks, it's, it's Faith Baptist. It's us. Stop and consider. How lightly are we taking it? Again, Peter reminded us, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. If you're in Romans, go to verse, excuse me, go to chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Romans 6, verse 1. Paul writes, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now some people, when they see that word baptized there, they just go, oh yeah, water baptism. No, water baptism is a picture of what takes place. Peter tells us that. What we need to catch is when we're talking about being baptized into Christ, we're talking about being immersed into him. The word means to dip when it comes to just simply putting something in the water. But there's more to it than that. Listen, the word baptizo, the Greek word baptizo means, quote, the introduction or placing of a person or thing into a new environment or into union with something else so as to alter its condition or its relationship to its previous environment or condition. When we came into Christ, our relationship with the world changed. When we came into Christ, our relationship with our Heavenly Father changed. 
We are now new creatures in Christ. We are immersed. We are in Him. Christ is our life. Book of Colossians. So having said all that, let's go back to Psalm 139. Again, listen to this prayer. This is David praying, a godly man. And he says this, verse 23, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Now, now, now listen to that. See if there be any, any, any wicked way. You look that, you look that Hebrew word up, it means a way of idolatry. Is there something that I have put, Lord, in front of you? You know who often winds up pushing God out of the way in my life? See if there be any wicked way in me. And then he says this, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now if the Lord, if the Lord leads this way, Lord willing, next Sunday we will go to get serious with Scripture. But the only way we get serious with Scripture, which is God's Word, is if we will yield to the Scripture. If we don't do that, it'll do us no good. God's Word never returns void. It will bless, but it will judge. If you don't believe it, read about the Israelites in the Old Testament and how God, and I just read this this last week in my devotions. When Israel was carried off, the 10 northern tribes, when Israel was carried off by Assyria, the writer says they became they 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 became in they came in vanity and became vain they followed excuse me they followed after vanity and they became vain now again that's a hebrew word that means emptiness in other words they followed emptiness and they became empty i know christians right now that when it comes to the important things in life they're empty because they're following emptiness. The things of this world, trying to catch up. The almighty dollar has more control over their life than almighty God. And following emptiness, they become empty. Caught up in the things of this world. You know, our, our calling is not politics, it's Christ. Now, in Christ, there are some that will find themselves involved in politics. But Christ is all. Christ is all. There are some wanting to go after pleasure. No. Christ is all. Do you believe, listen to me please, I'm almost done. Do you believe that we have sin as a local church that needs to be dealt with. It would behoove Faith Baptist to come before God and say, search us, O God. Know our hearts, try us, know our thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way.
If we don't do that, we're not going to make an impact on a godless world. And the greatest thing, pastor was asked one time, a famous man from a couple of centuries ago, I wish I could remember his name right now, but when I remember this, boy, it hits me. They asked him, what is your people's greatest need? And without looking up, he said, my people's greatest need is my own personal holiness. That's why, folks, and please don't misunderstand, I'm not bragging, but when I have opportunity to watch something that is wicked, there are two reasons, three reasons I don't do it. Number one, for my God. Number two, for my wife and family. Number three, for you all. You need a preacher that says no to sin. He needs people to understand that they need to say no to sin. If you can't handle, remember those of you that have been around a long time, remember when the preachers would preach, listen, if you can't control the television, toss it out the back. Well, you know what? If you can't control it, put a bullet through it. It's the truth. It's the truth. Go to Luke 18. Just real quick. Christ told the story. Interesting story. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men. Other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Literally, the sinner. Now, you know, if you look at the list that the Pharisee made, it's a good list. I keep away from this sin, I do this. Praise God, that's great. But it meant nothing because he was doing it for himself. On the other hand, the publican came in, recognizing who he was before God, smote his heart and says, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Christ says, that's the man that went home justified. Now, you know, a good thought. Are we congratulating ourselves and saying, you know what, I don't think I really need to pray like David. You know, search me, oh God, know my heart, try me. I'm doing all right. Do you think there are Christians that'll do that? Yeah, they'll, you know, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Now, it's not that we look around and go, you know, I just don't know about Antonio. And when it comes to Brother Reyes, oh, mercy. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. Because we're here to encourage each other. Amen? What we are to do is look within ourselves. God be merciful to me. There are, there are times we don't know that there's a sin that needs to be dealt with. God is seeking to tell us. Folks, when we walk into eternity, what matters is what God said matters. Not what mankind and not what our flesh said. When I was, um, and I've mentioned this before already, so some of you probably remember this. But I'll never forget this. 
when I was flying to Washington, D.C. for American Association of Christian Schools, starting in September of 1993, did it for eight and a half years. There were roughly 16 of us that would fly four times a year to Washington. And we would lobby on education issues, family issues, um, et cetera, religious issues. And it was exciting. It, it, was, it, it was really something. But at the end of eight and a half years, six of the men, pastors, that I flew in with were out of the ministry. We did not recognize the spiritual warfare. You know, we might be congratulating ourselves like the Pharisee, saying, you know, I'm doing this and this and this, and after all, hey, preacher, I'm in church. But how much is Christ in you and in me? You see? Could we just challenge ourselves to pray? These were godly men that I went with. But Satan found a way in. He found a way with me in the deep depression that I went through. I mean, it was rough. Satan knows us better than we know ourselves. We need the God who knows all things. And we need to invite him. See if there be any wicked way in me. Any way. Lead me in the way everlasting. You know, I loved it when the young people came up here and they spoke. Now, I'm going to say something, and I don't want you all to get mad at me, okay? I don't want you to get mad at me. This has been my observation. If you've had a different observation, fine. Praise God. But there's something that I found out working with teenagers. Teenagers, they'll lie, but they won't lie to you like adults will. We adults, we've got it figured out. We know how to do the act. We, knew how, we know how to do the tone of voice. We know how to gently close the door on the search by the Holy Spirit. The teenagers will get up and they'll say stuff like these said this morning. You know what? I want to study my, I want to read my Bible more. I want to be a better witness. You know? I want to quit smacking my sister in the face, you know, what time, just whatever. <laughs> but adults, hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, no problem. Yeah, big problem. Big problem. One more thing, and then we're done. I got to thinking about this this last week. You know, when we get to heaven, and by the way, if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, we're going there. Amen? I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know. I know that we will know that our sins are forgiven. Praise God, we've left it all behind. But we will see Jesus. And when we see him, we will see the scars. My Bible tells me Christ had his glorified body when he went to see the disciples. He said this, Jesus stood in the midst in Luke 24. He says, why are you troubled? Why do thoughts rise in your heart? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed him them his hands and feet. In John 20, it goes on to tell us this. Thomas wasn't there. He said, I'm not going to believe unless I see him. I see his hands, etc. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it in my side and be not faithless, but believing. 
we're going to see the scars that will be with Christ for all eternity because of our sin. Now we will think, God loves me. He paid the price. But let's stop and think now. What is the attitude that we have when it comes to the sin that we did that cost him that? Remember Hebrews 12, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. With those scars. We need to get serious with our sin. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I mean every, listen, every minute situation, if God has spoken to you or if you will go to him and say, Lord, please show me. I've done it and I'm still doing it. I want God to show me. That's how we're going to get serious with Scripture. Is we get serious with the sin that Christ died for every minute detail. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, we have a ministry here, the RU program, that specializes in helping people search these things out. I would encourage you to talk to Brad. But we've got to begin. So let me ask you something, in all seriousness. How willing are we to invite the Lord into every nook and cranny of our lives? In a moment, we're going to stand. We don't do this very often. And if you don't, I'm not going to stand up here and judge you, and I mean that. But if the Lord has spoken to you in a great way, I would invite you to come and kneel before the Lord. Lord, I'm asking you, search me out. I don't want to fall. I don't want to fail. Lord, I want to follow. Lord, help me to do this. Let's stand for prayer.